Well, good morning, Edinburgh. Hey, how are we? Um, if you're a guest, I want to give you a warm welcome. Those of you watching online, glad you're tuned in as well. Uh, yeah, I hope you'll come back next week as we kick off that series. We're waiting to hear from you. We don't even know what we're going to preach on yet. Uh, so interact with us on social media, and we'll start putting, putting that uh, together. But it's going to be based on what you tell us. Um, and I also, hey, I wanted to uh, let you guys know some of you are... are most of you should have gotten an email letting you know, hey, Pastor Josh is starting a 10-week sabbatical. And I want you to know that so that you can be in, in prayer uh, for our brother, Josh. And just so you know, it's not, it's not a vacation, okay? <laughs> That's sometimes how we think of sabbaticals. It's actually a planned and a scheduled time of study and uh, research and just dreaming of, of things in his ministry. It gives him time to put some stuff together. Um, but also, yes, rest and investing in his family. We want that for him as well so he can come back refreshed and replenished. So keep, uh, keep Pastor Josh uh, in, your, in your prayers. Um, we are wrapping up today our series we've been in called Check Your Heart. And we've said that um, our spiritual heart that we're talking about here, it, it's the most important part of, of, of our life. It's more important than our physical body. Uh, it's the part that lives on, even after our physical body is laid to rest. Um, it's the core of, of, of who we are and how we experience the world around us. We saw in Proverbs, it, it said we need to guard our heart ab above all else. Okay? Um, and, and, that, and that makes sense. That it, it's, it, it's the most important aspect of our life. Um, and, and that implies that there are things we actually need to guard it against. There are things that want to creep into our lives. There are things that want to creep into our hearts, poison us, um, rob us of the abundant life Jesus wants for each and every one of us. The love, joy, and peace he, he came to give us through his spirit. Okay. Um, and so th this morning we're going we're gonna to wrap up with this, this topic of pride. The topic of pride, and I, I think this is probably more than any of the other topics that we've discussed, the, the most important area where we need to check our, check our heart. Um, when Danielle and I were uh, first married, we decided we were going to take a road trip from Minneapolis here uh, out to Colorado. Uh, but the day that we had that trip planned, uh, a, a terrible snowstorm hit. Um, but we were young and <laughs> determined and stubborn. And uh, so we had family calling us up saying, you need to cancel the trip, right? It's, this is not a good thing to do. Uh, the news and, you know, the radio even as we were driving telling us, you, you need to stay home. Do not be out on the roads. Um, and, uh, of course, we, we tuned it all out. And so we were going to get there. And so we were driving uh, on these roads, just snow just coming down like crazy. Um, and you would think we had actually been driving at least, you know, under the speed limit. But of course, again, young, stubborn, trying to get there. We're driving over the speed limit. And we're on uh, 35, and I'll never forget, we hit a patch of black ice and uh, spun across three lanes of highway before we, we crashed into um, a, a wooden post uh, on the other side of, of the highway. It completely stripped the, the bumper off my car and um, did, a lot of, did a lot of damage. We were okay, fortunately, but we spent the, the rest of that day just trying to get someone to come out and tow my, my car. 
friends, it, it was a reminder of, of the danger of, of, of pride, <laughs> of just being stubborn, just thinking, you know, we're not going to listen to anyone, we're not going to care what anyone else thinks, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do what we want to do. It was, it was, it was pride, and, and Proverbs 16, 18 says this, says pride goes before destruction, in this case, a, a literal d- destruction of my car, all right? It says, a haughty spirit before a fall. This is where we get the expression, pride goes before a fall. Now, I, I bet most of us in here would admit that, in theory at least, there's a little pride in our life, right? Anybody say, yeah, in theory, I recognize that there's probably a little pride in my life. It's good that you would at least admit that, and that's okay. We, we'll pray for that. Some of you, you, you know there's pride in your life. You, maybe you've experienced even a recent fall of some kind. Maybe it was a relationship. It was maybe your job. It, it could be a lot of things. And you're like, no, no, no. I realize there's pride in my life. And you would say, yeah, there's definitely pride in my life. That's good that you see that and that you're acknowledging that. That's okay. We'll, we'll pray for that. We'll pray for you. Is there anyone in here who would say, no, I'm humble? Uh, when I look around at the rest of you, I'm like Mother Teresa. If that's you, we really need to pray for you today, okay? Because the reality is we all have pride in our life from one degree uh, to, to another. Pride is something in our life. And here's the thing we need to understand about pride. Pride kind of gets up into our it, it, blind spots. Uh, many of us would have a hard time pinpointing what areas of pride are in our life. It's because it's in a blind spot usually in your life. You don't see it. You know what I mean by a blind spot? Like in your car, you check your rear view mirror, you check your side view mirror, and uh, you don't see a car there, and then you go to get over, and what happens? There's a car there, and, right, they honk at you and maybe give you a certain gesture. Why do people get in your blind spot, though? I still don't understand that. If you have room, stay out of my blind spot, okay? That's usually God's teaching me patience in this area, and usually I pray for that person's lost, dark soul, okay? Um, <laughs> Stay out of people's blind spots because blind spots are a reality. There are areas we can't see. And, and a lot of us have areas of our life where pride is, is hiding, okay? And, and, and specifically, the area I want to talk about today that I think is a blind spot in, in so many of our lives is, is religious pride, okay? Religious pride. Believe it or not, if you're a Christian, you've been coming to church for a while, You've been trying to follow Jesus for a while. You're spiritual. Believe it or not, it is, it, is, it is a breeding ground for pride creeping up into our lives. Religious pride. And the problem with that is, as we saw already, pride, pride goes before a a fall. In fact, James says this in James 4, 6. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so I want to realize that like, God doesn't mean God doesn't love you. doesn't mean God doesn't care for you. God certainly wants the best for you. But when we have pride in our hearts and pride in our lives, 
Um, it says God opposes us. And I don't know about you, I, I don't want God opposing me. <laughs> Life is hard enough, amen? I don't want God unnecessarily opposing my life. I want all the blessing and favor I can get from, from the Lord. But pride, and especially religious pride, the Bible deals so much with it, can creep into our lives. And uh, it, can be, it can be very dangerous okay, for our lives. So when I talk about pride, here's how I would define pride to go ahead and give you a definition of what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about a confidence in our own righteousness. That's what I mean by religious pride. A confidence in our own righteousness, or what maybe some would refer to as self-righteousness. And Jesus is going to tell us a story this morning to talk about this issue. We read about this in Luke 18. Look how Luke sets it up. This is verse 9. Luke says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. So I want you to just notice right there, I got this definition from the Bible, right? Those who were confident of their own righteousness. You'll see at the end of this parable Jesus is going to tell. He specifically calls it pride. And notice what the result is. What happens when we grow prideful? We start to look down on others. That's the consequence. That's the result of religious pride. Okay, it says Jesus told this parable okay, to those who were dealing with pride. And so here's the parable. It says, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So to give us a picture of pride, Jesus is going to use a Pharisee. And friends, these are the religious leaders of the day, you can see why Jesus is going to end up being crucified. Seriously, this is, this is very offensive, okay, to, to, and, and, and unexpected. He used the religious leaders of the day as an example of what pride, specifically religious pride, looks like. And something you need to understand about uh, the Pharisees, um, friends, the Pharisees, they, while they get kind of a bad rap Right in, in the church, or those of us who have been around for a while, we kind of know the Pharisees get depicted as um, the prideful, uh, judgmental uh, people of Jesus' day. The reality is the Pharisees started off with good intentions. They, they really did. Um, see, the, the, the Israelites found themselves under bondage to Rome, the Roman Empire. After a series of wars, Rome kind of took over, and took over Israel, okay, and subjecting Israel to, 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 to heavy taxes and uh, to basically doing the will of, of, of Rome. And, of course, you can imagine, if you've studied the Old Testament to any degree, you know that the people of Israel were promised the promised land, a land of milk and honey where they were going to be free to worship and blessed by God. And now here they are under a form of tyranny, okay, to, to the Roman Empire. And, and, and maybe even rightly so, what they concluded was that this is because we, the Israelites, turned our back on God. Turned our back on God. And so that's what's led to this. So the Pharisees gathered together to say, we are going to become students of the word of God. We're going to study this word. We're going to live it. 
and we're going to teach it to others so that others can live it as well. It's good. Nothing wrong with that. Pharisees started off with good intention. The problem is, as they started to live that out, something shifted, something happened. They began to be confident of their own righteousness before, before the Lord. In other words, they became the hero of their own story. Okay. And that so often happens to us. Maybe after a time of sin or a time of repentance, we come to the Lord, we start living these things out, and next thing you know, we become confident of our own rights. We become the hero of our own story. Keep in mind, it's not bad the things that the, the Pharisee here did. I mean, he's, it's good and right to fast and to tithe and to do those things. But we do those as an expression of worship, not, not and love for Jesus. Not as a way to puff ourselves up and to start thinking that God owes us. Not as a way to start thinking we are the hero of our own story. And I got to tell you, if you've grown up in the Midwest, especially, which would mean Minnesota, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa, I got to tell us, I, I think this is especially dangerous here in the Midwest, this idea that we become the hero of our own story. I'm not saying the rest of the country doesn't have its own problems, because it does. But there's something about starting to think that we can be the hero of our own story. A lot of it through the religious traditions of, of the Midwest and how we're, how we're raised, where we, we think we, we, can, we can be righteous before God based on what we do. And I, I saw this um, one time I was at a coffee shop. I was young and dumb. I'm just going to say that to set the story up. Okay, at least a lot dumber than I am now. Uh, would change some things if I could go back in time. All right, but uh, a pastor and I were, were meeting, and we were having a conversation uh, over the Bible. And as we were leaving, this woman uh, stopped us and said, it's so good to see men studying the Bible. She said, I wish more men would study the Bible today. And she started telling us about all the things she's angry about here in America. And I don't know what came over me, but just after listening to this woman talk for a while, this, this question um, came out of my mouth. And I asked her, I said, ma'am, can I just ask you, um, why do you think you're getting into heaven? And her answer was this. I go to church and I'm a good person. I go to church and I'm a good person. Now, um, that led to something else coming out of my mouth. I, I said, ma'am you're not going to heaven. The conversation didn't go very well after that, okay? Um, again, young and dumb, probably would have handled that a little differently if I could have gone back, right? If I could go back in time. But I can't help but wonder how many of us, if, if that question was asked us, and the first thing that came out of our mouth, you know how when you take a test, they say, what's the first thing that you think of? If the first thing that came out of my mouth, why are you going to heaven? Why should God allow you into heaven? Because I go to church, I'm a good person. I think a lot of people think that way, friends. They think they're the hero of their own story. This Pharisee thinks he's the hero of their own story. It's because I'm right. because what I've, I've done for the Lord that makes me right in the sight of God. But look at the contrast. Look at 
the tax collector. Verse 13, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, now you need to understand the tax collector. Guys, tax collectors were evil people. Let's just call it what it is. This is not about minimizing sin. This is not about minimizing the fact that there, there is a problem here in the tax collector's life. The tax collector had betrayed their country. They had betrayed God. They had turned their back on God. Okay? Uh, the tax collector basically uh, was an Israelite who said, okay, God has left the building. Uh, God is nowhere to be seen. I'm going to get all that I can in this life. Rome has the power. Rome has the money. So I'm going to go work for Rome, and I'm going to start taking the, the heavy taxation from my Israelite neighbors. And if they don't pay their taxes, I'm going to go get a Roman centurion to carry them off to prison. Can you see why these people were hated and despised? Okay? And the Pharisees despise these people. They believe they were, the, they were the problem. Okay, even talking about, I even feel a little anger rising up in me. I can't imagine that kind of betrayal. But this, this tax collector has recognized the error of his ways. He's recognized he's a sinner. He's recognized that he has turned his back on God and his brothers and sisters as a nation. And he's cried out to God for mercy. And here's the shocking part of the story. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Don't miss what Jesus just said there. Jesus just said that the tax collector is the one who went home saved. To be justified means to be declared righteous by God. Declared righteous in God's sight. Saved. It's the tax collector who goes home saved. The religious leader, the Pharisee, doesn't. And so one is going to experience a falling, a major kind of falling. It's a big surprise. While the tax collector who humbled himself is going to be exalted. So the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So with the rest of the, the, the time we got this morning, what I want to do, I'm going to ask us, a few diagnostic questions to see do we have more in common with the prideful Pharisee or the humble tax collector? That's what I want to ask us this morning. So buckle up, okay? <laughs> this is heavy, <laughs> can be heavy stuff. Here's the first question. Is there any person or group that you were looking down upon? Is there currently any person or group that you find yourself looking down upon? So we probably naturally think, okay, when I look out at the culture, and don't get me wrong, now we, see, we see some sin, friends. We, we see some real wickedness, some real perversions. We see some things that are really messed up, and it's not wrong to acknowledge that and call it what it is. But have we ever stopped to think that that could have been us? Have we ever stopped to think, maybe if I would have grown up in a different family, if I had grown up under a different value system, if that had happened to me as a child, what happened to so-and-so, have you ever stopped to think that that could have been us? Maybe you could have been the tax collector? 
Any person or group out there right now you find yourself looking down upon? I've found that we even do this in the church. We find ourselves looking down on different groups of people. Um, something that happens in the church is somebody will get passionate about something. And uh, want others to rally to their, to their cause. And when others don't get as passionate about it as they are, they become lesser than. I got to tell you, I've seen this as a, as a pastor who oversees this. I've dealt with this for years. It's, it's enough at times to make me wonder if Target's hiring. I'm not going to. Where somebody gets so passionate about their cause, and if you don't rally to it with the same zeal and passion they do, you're lesser it might be some kind of green initiative where someone is all about saving the environment. And do we have a, a responsibility as Christians to do that and to care for the environment, to be good stewards? We absolutely do. But it's like if you don't get as passionate about recycling as they do, you are lesser than. Or it might be a social justice issue of some kind. If you don't rally to their cause and get as passionate about it, it can be a theological position. If you don't get passionate as their theological position, you are lesser than. It can be good things, guys. It can be missions. It can be evangelism. It can be your specific area that you volunteer here at Edinburgh Church about. And you get passionate about it. And if other people don't share your passion, they're lesser than. And you find yourself looking on. This happens even in the church. But I got to tell you that what I've seen and what I've discovered is, is that God is the one who put that passion in you. But God has also put other passions in other people. Because the kingdom is bigger than any one of us. And so it takes all of us having different passions. If all of you had the same things that I am passionate about, God's kingdom would be missing out. So it's not wrong to have passion and zeal. It's wrong when we start looking down on others because they're different and they don't have the same passion and zeal we do. This is why um, Proverbs 19 says, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. <laughs> Some translations would say, zeal without knowledge. It's not good to have zeal without knowledge. Zeal. Paul encourages us to have zeal, but with wisdom, knowledge, understanding for how the kingdom works. First question, are, are, is there any person or group that right now you find yourself looking down on? I would say that has more in common with the Pharisee than the, the humble tax collector. Okay, here's the second question. How are you using the Bible? Let me explain what I mean by that. There's different ways we can use the Bible. Are you using the Bible as a weapon to attack people? To beat people over the head, are you using the Bible to shame people? Usually the reason we do that is because we want to control somebody. We want to manipulate a situation, so we use God's authority to get them to do what we want them to do. Anybody in here using the Bible as a weapon? Anybody using the Bible as a textbook? And what I mean by that is you use it to study it and get really knowledgeable, but then you use that knowledge to puff yourself up and be smarter than everybody else. Paul talks about that, right? Knowledge puffs up. Love fills up. He says, be careful about that. Be careful that you don't grow prideful through your Bible knowledge is good. 
But you can start to use it to puff yourself. There's all kinds of ways. You can start getting into theological debates and, and different things. You start using to puff yourself up. Friends, the, the way the Bible is primarily to be used in our life is as a mirror. The Bible is primarily telling us about God, who he is, about how we are supposed to live, and shows us where we fall short so that we can have guidance in our life to live in a way that brings him glory and experiences that abundant life Christ wants for us. The Bible is primarily for me. It's primarily for you. It's to be a mirror in our personal life to teach us how to live out God's will. Um, many years ago, a, uh, what do you call it? Like a salesman, a, a solicitor came to our door. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but when a solicitor comes to my door, like, I hide. Anybody else? Except I couldn't do that because my daughter Callie went up to the window and smiled and waved at the guy. So now I'm like, I got I to gotta answer the door. And I answered, and it's a guy, I think he was like with pest control, something like that. And as he was talking, I noticed he had like something that looked like a little nesting on his shoulder. So I just, you know, kind of instinctively like reached over and picked it off. And I could tell he was like, you know, personal space, you know, all that. But I picked it off, and I threw it on the ground. And we sat there and we talked for about 20 minutes. And after that, I went into the bathroom and I did what we probably would all do. Check myself out in the mirror. Probably need to check my heart in that, in that area. But friends, I had something, let's just say, coming out of my nose. Sitting on my upper lip. And as soon as I saw it, I realized that that was probably why he didn't want to make eye contact with me in our conversation. And it also dawned on me how foolish I must have looked taking off a little bird nest sticks and twigs off his shoulder while I had a giant booger on my face. <laughs> 20 minutes. And as I thought about it, and it dawned on me, I, I couldn't help but realize or wonder, is that how the world sees us? People picking twigs and sticks off their shoulder. Meanwhile, guys, do I need to tell us? We've got glaring issues in our own lives. <laughs> do I need to tell us the church has glaring issues? That are coming out now publicly. I mean, many of you are probably familiar with what just came out with the Southern Baptist Convention and this report and the covering up stuff. That was abuse. And here we are picking twigs and sticks, and, and meanwhile, we're the ones. You just realize how foolish we, we must look. And by the way, let me just say, this is why I love being a part of Edinburgh Church, because we have always said it is grace first. And I'm telling you, and we're known for our grace. Yes, we believe in right and wrong. Yes, we believe in the Bible. Yes, we believe in sin and that we need a Savior. But that's the answer. Jesus is the answer. And we all need Jesus. 
If that was our stance and we were poised and that's what we were known for, hey, we're going to be a hospital because we all need Jesus. Your pastor included? Then when these kinds of things come out, we say, we've been saying this for years. We all need grace and we all need Christ. Friends, how are you using the Bible these days? To attack, puff yourself up, or are you using it as a mirror to examine your own life? Because we all got blind spots. And here's my third and last question. Where is your compassion at? And what I mean by that is where are your compassion levels at these days? Showing a lot of compassion to people. A lot of anger, like a lot of frustration with things going out there. And it's just, and it's creeping in and it, 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 can, it can kill the compassion uh, in our hearts. But, but here's what I've learned. Everybody has a story. Everybody. Uh, I used to be friends with a guy named John. I'll tell you about John a little bit. John became a Christian while we worked together. Knew John for about five years before he went off to the military. But he got baptized. And um, John was rough around the edges. Okay? Um, So he was a Christian. He was coming to church with me. But I would... As we got into Christian community, I would start to hear people say things to me like, are you sure John's really a Christian? Okay? John had a mouth on him, all right? The dude tended to cuss, okay? Uh, John listened to music that was not safe for the entire family, okay? Uh, John was a hothead. He, he got into a fight with a guy we worked with one time, and the guy pushed him into a door. He cracked his head open. I had to go to the hospital, take him to the hospital to get stitches because he got into a fight at work. John was rough around the edges. Here's what you need to know about John. John grew up in poverty. John never knew his father. John's mother got hooked on drugs and ran off with another guy. So John went to live with his grandmother, And as soon as I got to know John, John's grandmother died, passed away, leaving him to raise his disabled brother by himself. John had experienced gang violence. John had lived a tough life. Friends, everybody has a story, and everybody is fighting a battle that you don't know about. And I couldn't help but wonder, like, if I were to ask God, God, how is John doing? Here's what I think God would have said in those five years I knew John. John would say he's actually, God would say John has actually grown more in these five years, Brent, than, than you have. Still rough around the edges? Yes, because grace and spiritual growth is a process. And he was fighting battles that few of us could relate to and understand. Psalm 103 says this, listen to to who our God is. This is why we're supposed to be so compassionate. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Friends, you hear this. Our God is a compassionate God. It's who he is. Why are we supposed to show compassion to others? Because our God is a compassionate God. How are we doing in these areas? I just wonder. 
If we examine our heart, anybody in here say, yeah, maybe I've been looking down on some people. Looking down on certain groups of people. Anybody maybe see they've been using the Bible as a little bit of a, a weapon or an opportunity to puff themselves up rather than as a mirror? Where are your compassion levels at these days? You see, if you find yourself like me struggling in these areas, here's what I believe we always got to get back to. Here's what I believe the simple answer is that I hope you hear every week when you come to Edinburgh Church. Friends, we are not the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the one who saves us. We all have sinned. The Bible is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And and even as a Christian today, I I know there's still blind spots in my life that I need Jesus covering and helping with, where I need grace. And that's the good news with God through Jesus. Guess what we get? We get grace. The tax collector gets grace. You get grace. And when we realize it, it should change us from the inside out. It should certainly change us into being people who show other people compassion and grace. This is why I love the story of of Martin Luther. You realize Martin Luther had his life threatened. He was going to be burned at a stake. Can you imagine being burned alive, by the way? tied to a stake and set on fire. He was going to be burning. And guess who was going to burn him at a stake? It was religious people. It was the religious leaders of his day. We're talking about the 16th century here. Why? Why were they going to burn Martin Luther at the stake? Because Martin Luther taught that we need a righteousness that comes from Jesus that is not our own. It is a foreign, alien righteousness that God gives us by grace through faith alone. It's not our righteousness. It's his righteousness given to us so that we can stand before God blameless in his sight. And that ought to humble us to the core. Who are we to be prideful? We realize God, Jesus, is the one who fulfilled the law and has done everything for us in our place. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to celebrate Jesus. Amen? We're going to say, thank you, Jesus. You are the hero. I don't have to be the hero of my story because I have a hero. And it's you. And so we're going to take communion and we're going to celebrate this Christ. And we're going to give glory to this Christ through worship. If you didn't grab a communion cup, you can raise your hand. We, someone in the back who will bring you one, just raise your hand. I'll see you. And they'll see someone over here, Jim. Ah, friends, this is why we love Jesus. He, he's the one who's done it all. He's the one who filled the law in my place, a sinner like me. And I hope you, I hope you can say the same. So what we want to do is we want to peel back that, that top layer. We're going to take out the, the wafer here, which represents the body of Christ broken for us. Say, Jesus, thank you that you were willing to die on that cross to let your body be broken. Uh, We deserved it to be broken, but you were broken uh, to take our place under the wrath of God um, so that we could be set free and off the hook, Lord. 
Thank you for your sacrifice. Uh, we, we take this now in your name. We peel back that next layer. So the, represents the shed blood of Jesus. Hey, if there's any sin in your life that maybe is being revealed or exposed as we're in church this morning or maybe this past week, listen, the perfect spotless lamb shed his blood to purify us from our sin. That's good news, amen? It's his blood. He's the one that sets us free. He's the one that makes us righteous. Before God. And so we want to receive that, Jesus. We want to receive the cleansing that comes by the shedding of your blood, the perfect sacrifice in our place. Jesus, we tell you this morning, we love you. We drink this now in your name. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Let it humble us this morning. Let us be reminded we are sinners that need Jesus to be the hero of our story. Thank you for the cleansing we received through your perfect son who fulfilled the law, gave us a righteousness that's not our own. We want to walk in that today. We want to walk in that this week. Help us to be a church that shows grace and love to other people. Walking in the same humility, God that characterizes who you are. <laughs> You're a humble God with a humble heart, and we want to be more like you. So help us to do that today as we get ready to celebrate and worship Jesus through worship. We want to say we love you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and worship.